You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To learn more about the Collective Church in Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, Washington, visit us online at thecollectivechurch.com. My name is Jenny Donnelly. In case I have not met you yet, I am one of the co-founding pastors here at the Collective Church, along with my husband, Bob, and pastors Ben and Heather Rose, and um, we're so happy to have you. Okay, you guys ready to roll? Okay, so here's the deal. Um, your flesh is going to hate this message, okay? Your flesh is going to be like, we should have slept in, or your flesh is going to say, I'm so glad she's preaching this to elite Christians, because I'm not one of those. <laughs> this is for that person down there that's like, you know, super spiritual, and I'm just, you know, I'm just a basic person. Um, or your flesh is just going to be mad at me. But your spirit, on the other hand, has been waiting for this message. Your spirit is actually like, oh, because the message I'm going to give you is basic, but your spirit was built for it because it's the word of God. It's not an opinion of mine. It's not. In fact, I'd prefer not to have this opinion, to be honest, <laughs> because this is an, a challenging message to my flesh but it is nourish, nourishment to my spirit. So right now, you can tell your flesh to take a back seat and to say, spirit man, come forward. Because this is going to be rough riding if your flesh is out here trying to listen to this. But if you put your spirit man out front and lean into this, this could be a life-changing morning for you. And I think you came here to get your life changed. I don't, think you, I don't think people come to the collective to check a box. I don't think that's the kind of church we are. I think we come to get our life changed, yeah? Okay, so we always have to start with a dream. I know, a big surprise, right? Okay, um, so I'm going to go back, and I'm going to give these, I'm, I'm going to condense these dreams for the sake of time, but maybe a couple months ago, I had a dream that I was helping a woman at another church do a women's event. She gave out really pretty invitations, and I was serving her vision. I didn't go to her church, but I was serving her vision. And it was to give out these invitations. The women came to the event, and then we were sending them home with a gift. And it was an empty envelope. And I thought, well, that's not super generous. Um, and I suggested an idea to put something in the envelope, but it was going to take us about five hours because it was kind of intense. And she politely declined my idea. And I thought, well, good, because that was going to be a lot of work. So your vision, you run the show, sounds good to me. So we sent people home with empty envelopes. Think how awkward that would be if I was like, here, Tiffany, I have something for you. And you're like, oh, what's in here? And it's empty. You're like, thanks. Okay. Um, scene change. Okay, God doesn't like shoot bullets in dreams. He's actually, a, it's a chapter. It's building one upon the other. The next scene, I am under the London Bridge. And it's a big, giant concrete structure. And I look up and dead white mice are falling from the structure. And their tails here, their heads falling down. And white is religion. And mice are just the demonic realm, which would make sense. And I am trying to dodge them because I do not want them touching me. And I know that I have to get out of underneath this structure because it's going to fall. And I need to get out of underneath it. And I hear London bridges falling down. I get up. And if you dream, a lot of people are like, I wish I dreamt. You guys, 
wish that lightly because what happens is you get sent on a cryptic um, adventure that can take days, weeks, and sometimes years to literally interpret a dream. They don't interpret themselves. I mean, I've had a couple where God's like, here's what it means. I'm like, thank you. Okay, thank you. But most of them are cryptic. And so I had to go on a little chase here and figure out what is this riddle? What are you saying, God? And went to a website, which I'm sure, I'm sure it's 100% true, um, about, the, about this nursery rhyme. And whether it's true or not, God was using it to interpret this dream for me. And here's the saying, here's the story. In the 1200s, when uh, structures were being built in Europe, in London specifically, the idea was that the structures could be held together and maintained, and they wouldn't fall architecturally if starving kids were put inside the structure. And they're thinking, these kids are starving anyway. They're going to die anyway. We might as well put their bones, bury them alive in these structures. Now, don't get caught up on whether that's true or false, okay, because we're interpreting a dream here. And what he shared with me in that, and then calling my friend April, um, April Schumar, who's on our leadership team, and she's an incredible dream interpreter. Don't all rush her after service. Sorry, April. Um, and her and I talked through it, but... Um, the, the bridge, the London Bridge, is the structure. It's the, it's the church. And, of course, here comes religion falling out of the structure. And I believe that God's shaking the structure, shaking out the demonic strategies. But really what's happening here is you have to look at the empty envelopes. And you have to say, are we building structures, filling structures, but sending people home starving? Are we building a church on attendance and bodies and pretty invitations, but we're just trying to hold up a big structure, but people are starving? London Bridge is falling down. God is shaking the church. So then this last week, actually when Britt was here and he came out to Crestview and did our ministry intensive, at one point I'm laying on the ground like everybody else. And I hear over and over and over in my mind, millions of babies, millions of babies, millions of babies. And it was like God was birthing babies in the spirit. I mean, just all over the earth. And it was like, who's going to keep up with this? Right? I have five and I'm weighing over my head. How, how is this all going to happen? But I knew it was spiritual children. And then from that point forward, every night in my sleep, I'm either pregnant. I'm rescuing babies that are abandoned. There's preemies that are barely living. And the last one that I had a couple nights ago, um, sorry guys for this, but you know, here we are. Um, I was doing God's work and I was busy doing God's work and it was actually what he assigned me to do. And all of a sudden, my milk came in, okay? Ladies that have had kids, you've been pregnant, you know what I'm talking about. What happens is out of nowhere, your body gets filled. It's supernatural, I don't get it, science, okay? and you can't deny it, you're like, whoa, where's the baby? Like, it's built in so that we don't forget we had a baby. Well, in my dream, right? Because you could be out of your mind, right? We know this can happen. Okay. In my dream, I was like, I had a baby? Oh, crap. Where's the baby? I, for, I mean, I was doing God's work, and I, and I thought, oh, I did have a baby. Kind of like you put cookies in the oven, and it was like, wait a minute, what's that smell? Oh my gosh, I made cookies. Like, it was like that. <laughs> Except for it was a baby. So I run 
to the crib, but the crib is this giant bed with this ornate headboard and it's beautiful colors and it's like handcrafted carved wood. But out of the wood are little chips taken out because the baby had its face nine at the headboard because it was so hungry. And I thought, oh no, this baby is eating off the structure that it's sitting in. And then in the dream, I knew that it needed milk. It needed milk. And I've been hearing for maybe three or four months now, in my spiritual ear, I've been hearing there's a discipleship movement coming. There's a discipleship movement coming. And I'm like, yeah, sounds great. Because mm. I know what discipleship means. It's called Jenny laying down what she thinks matters to pick up my cross and help somebody know God. That means I'm going to have to be inconvenient. I told you your flesh isn't going to like this. So this is where we're headed. We're headed into the fact that we just sang a song. Actually, we have me my phone really quick. I love this because we were singing about it all morning. I had the advantage of knowing what we were talking about. We were singing this this morning, almost every song. And here's what we just sang. We'll shout till the whole world hears it. Yeah. We'll sing till the whole world knows. I'm going to say that again. We'll shout till the whole world hears it. Yes, my spirit. Yes. We'll sing till the whole world knows. But are we and will we? Because we just sang about it for a long time and we all really enjoyed it. But God, there's, there's a time now that God's making us accountable to the words we're reading in the word of God and accountable to the things that we're saying, the things that we're singing, and the things that we say we believe. But God said, even if you're willing to whisper, let alone shout to the whole world knows, would you walk out of here today with a whisper on your lips, even a whisper of his goodness to someone else? So this message, I actually have eight points, which is hilarious. Um, one of the many miracles of today would be that I would get through it. Let's just see what happens, okay? I believe that God will steer this. Sometimes I get high-centered on a point, and then we're just drilling down from there. Have to go with what the Holy Spirit wants here. It'd be cool if I got through all eight. Number eight's kind of spicy, so I hope I get there. Okay. So this message, if I were to name a message, which you're like, Jenny names messages, I guess let's do it. Let's do it. It's called Go Therefore. That's what this is called. Go Therefore. We're going to read Matthew 28. And Collective Church, I think that we should all start bringing a paper Bible to church. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I have been using the Bible on here for so long. My brain is actually now jumbled. I can't find books in the Bible when I go to my paper Bible because it's not a click anymore. And so my brain has dumped it. And I, I have just felt like, man, I got to get this paper Bible out because we are getting ready for the third great awakening. And we have to have in us the word of God that pops out because I can see it on a certain page up in this corner. That's how it works. We do have photographic memories, some of us more than others, but we do have the ability to memorize scripture based on paper. It really is true. And it's not about memorizing scripture so you can be spiritual. It's about you walking through life and the word of God steering and navigating your life because it's in you. Okay? So Matthew 28, I'm going to read 
it's probably going to be easier for me just to read starting with um, verse 1. And I am in the New King James Version, I think. Yes, that's this Bible that I have. Okay, Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to draw to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. That's pretty cool. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. So they're like, where's Jesus? He died. We all saw it. We were all sad. We're all crying. We're all weeping. And now this stone is rolled away. And here's this angel saying, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. And he says this in verse six, he is not here for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. So here's these women that are like, okay. And indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. So he's like, hey, Jesus is going out. He's already out. Go, go find him. Go tell the disciples that he's coming for them. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Everybody say disciples. Verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 11, now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. We're going to jump down to verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain, because that's where they were told to go, right? Like, hey, you're going to meet Jesus, the guy that was dead three days ago. Well, surprise, he's not dead. Go to Galilee, you're going to see him. To the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And I really want to, I want this to be highlighted, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Okay. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Everybody say, go therefore. And you've heard the, you know the old pastor joke, when you see a therefore, you have to ask why it's, what is there for? <laughs> it's because of what he said before. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So I'm stating my case here. I'm giving you a strong conviction that you can go. I'm giving you the authority that is on me. I'm giving you authority. Go therefore and make disciples. Everybody say make disciples. Make disciples. Of only your own children. No, wait, that's not what it says. Okay, hold on a minute. Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of, let's say it together, the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Plain as day right there. Teaching them, okay, what are we going to do with these people? We're going to go make disciples. Well, what, what is discipleship? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And that's when Matthew is concluded right there. So this is what we call the Great Commission. 
This is the Great Commission. It's not the great suggestion. It's not the great idea. It's not the great if I feel like it. It's not the great if I get around to it. This is the Great Commission. This is what Jesus said. Think about it. He came back from the dead, and he's like, I wonder what I should tell them first. Because they're probably going to be all ears, all eyes on me. <laughs> when I have their best attention, what am I going to say? I'm going to say, I've been given all authority on he in heaven. Go, therefore, in this authority and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay, so you're thinking, yeah, this is for elite Christians. No, we already talked about this. Remember, we've, we've already talked about this. These are his disciples, estimated to between the age of 13, it's looking right over here, and 30. I mean, they're, okay, your frontal lobe that makes good decisions isn't in until 25 or 26 years old. And he's like, with your inability to make good decisions, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to take this up with God. I know it's challenging. It's basic, but it's challenging because it interrupts our life. Just say it out loud. Say, this interrupts my life. It is what it is. It's okay. So what is a disciple? A disciple is a person who is taking the life of Christ and making it their own through learning and training. It is a lifestyle of being formed into the image of Christ because we were made in, in Christ's image. Now, we do have an American Jesus in our culture who is supposed to look like us, who is supposed to be doing what we have in mind, who is supposed to conform to my image. Discipleship is the exact opposite. It is taking somebody by the arm and walking them into the image of Christ, teaching them all the things that Jesus taught, okay? And it's all in this book. It's all in this book. So we don't even have to have the answers. We just have to have the Bible to guide us. Okay, the term Christian is actually not in the Bible. So we say, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? The word disciple is the word for Christian. So when you say you're a Christian, you're saying you're a disciple. That means you're learning from Jesus, but you're also learning from someone else. You're following somebody else, somebody who has some fruit, somebody that they're not perfect. There's nobody that's perfect, but somebody that has walked maybe just a couple steps or even a smidgen, a smidgen ahead of you. I mean, they might have been saved Monday and you're coming in on Wednesday. That's okay, right? So I believe that there is a discipleship movement and that God is pressing this on us as a church, but as the body of Christ. I believe that this is designed to tear down the structure because what discipleship does is it feeds. Think about when you sat down at coffee or in a small group or somewhere, not in a church service, but somewhere where you sat with somebody and they looked you in the eyeballs and they said something and it wasn't even maybe hugely profound to them, but to you, your spirit just got nourished like something Something just went, whoa. There's a seed inside of me that just cracked open. It's starting to sprout something. This is what the church needs. 
The church needs fed. The church might just need milk. If you were handed a baby, I thought about this this morning. If every single one of us in here, this is what God was saying this morning when I was praying. He said, every single person in here, if you were handed an abandoned baby, an abandoned ba- just a baby that had been abandoned, and said, and, and said here's, you know, here's the, you know, to feed milk, you need to take care of this baby for one year. I bet everybody in here would find a way. Maybe you have to ask somebody to help you. I bet everybody in here would find a way to do it. And that is, what, that is how urgent God is about this. Finding a baby in the spirit and saying, I might not have meat in the word of God. I don't understand revelations. I don't understand some things. But I have some milk. I have something really basic in my spirit that I'm learning about that has nourished me, and I, I think I can give it to you. I was asking Pastor Ben because he said this one time, and I asked him this morning to verify it. He said that if every single Christian disciple on earth right now found one person, brought them to Christ, and discipled them for one year, I mean, that's like, that's not really a gigantic, um, overwhelming ask. Really? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Like one person. Like God, and it'd have to be God. God would have to bring, you know, God would have to intersect you and them, right? God appointed, but I believe if we pray and ask God, he would do it. But if we did that, in 27 years, the whole world would know God. We could wrap this thing up in 27 years. Who's in? I'm in. (laughs) My kids are like, no, I want to get married. I want to have kids. I'm like, okay. No, I love my family. But I'm telling you what, when you start looking at eternity and you start looking at what's ahead, it gets pretty exciting. It gets really exciting because we don't get separated from our family in heaven. We get to be with them, but there's no sorrow. There's no grief. There's no car seats. There's no toilets. There are some serious perks to heaven. <laughs> Big and small. Okay, so this is what I'm going to do with the time I have remaining. I'm going to go through these eight points, and you're like, you haven't even gotten to one point? No, I haven't, okay? We're getting there. Okay, so I just asked the Lord, what is holding us back from the one? Just one. What's holding us back from the one? What's causing us to walk by the baby that's been abandoned on the street and go, somebody else will get him? I had somebody send me a dream that, see, here we go. That's why we're not getting to our eight points because there's another dream. It wasn't my dream. That was somebody else's. It's cool. Um, and there was babies that were abandoned, and a crowd of people were around the babies on the street, and we were inside at a wedding. Think about that. And we got curious and went out and saw a baby in a basket and thought, okay, this is a abandoned baby. Somebody in this crowd is going to get the baby. So we're good. Walked back in, sat down, and you could see out of the glass. And the crowd dispersed, and the baby was still sitting there. And so we started planning how we were going to adopt and help mothers keep their babies. Take babies and help mothers keep their babies. God is saying something here. He is saying something here. And here's, here is another thing. You are not responsible for what the person next to you does with this message. When you stand before God, when I stand before God, I can't say, well, nobody, I mean, it was just too much. I mean, what was my one going to do? No, he's just asking you. He's just asking you. When you see an abandoned baby that nobody else is picking up, would you consider doing it? 
Would you consider a coffee appointment every couple weeks and ask them how they're doing? Get below the surface. How is your heart? How are you in God? Do you feel safe? How's your body? Do you need any healing? How can I pray for you? You know, I've never prayed for somebody for healing, but let's start now. I've never prayed out loud in a coffee shop, but today's a good day to start. He is just saying, go therefore. Go therefore. Go therefore. One. So what's keeping us from the one? Point number one, we don't feel we have the authority. We don't feel we actually have the authority. Like, oh, that person's not going to listen to me. They're not going to. And you know what? They might not. But if you pray, God, I want to disciple one this year. One. I promise you he will bring one. Oh, I promise you he will. The word authority, another word for authority is permission. So when we had our ministry intensive, you know, we're teaching people how to pray. We're teaching people about a heavenly exchange. So when you disciple somebody, there's a heavenly exchange, right? Here's you and them, and in your conversation or recreation or just having coffee and having fun or praying or whatever, there's, a, there's light coming. Light is penetrating darkness. And I ask God, what is the most important thing for a person who is in that role to lead somebody else into the light? I said, I need to know what that is before we do an entire intensive and we don't really know what it is. Answered me in a dream, Okay. And this is what he said, and this is really, really powerful. Father God was standing in front of me, which he's always like, you know, you can't really make out his face, but whatever. So, Pastor Heather, will you stand up here for a second? So you're me in the dream, and I want you to put yourself in her shoes right now, okay? And it was this simple. Thank you, Jesus, for simple dreams. He looked at me, and he said, Jenny, this, and it wasn't my phone, it was authority in his hand. Everybody say authority. It was authority. And he said, Jenny, Heather, this isn't yours. And it was over. Okay? And that was the dream. And it was memorable. I Thank you very much. That's it. That's it. Okay? Now, let me break this down. So I'm pondering on this before I get out of bed. And, and I said, you're going to have to, like, Okay, come on, share another layer of this, Holy Spirit. You got to press in, we have dreams. Holy Spirit, what are you saying here? I know you're being cryptic. What's happening? What are you saying here? And he says, okay, I'm glad you asked. And he shows me an image, a real life thing that happens in my life, which is me sitting in the car, wanting to get some work done, wanting to answer text messages at the grocery store. So I take Esther, an unassuming prospect, at 13 years old, and I hand her my debit card. Interesting, it's 13, right? I actually started about 10 years old. As soon as they could see over the thing, it was like, you're in, you're hired, you're going. (laughs) Like, go do stuff, I do stuff, you do stuff, we work as a team. I can't believe it. They will take the payment. I say, go in, get about $50, no more than $60 worth of groceries, get, you know, dinner for the family, and it can't be all ice cream. I give her a few parameters. She goes in, and nowhere on that card is her name. Nowhere does it say Esther Donnelly. In fact, this girl doesn't even see the bill. She doesn't know much about finances at this point in her life. She just knows she has the authority to use what's not hers. So when we think, oh, I have to be better than I am in order to help somebody. No, 
You just need a chip reader. It's called faith. <laughs> Boom. Don't remove card. <laughs> remove card. I'm the person that's like, and they're like, ma'am, do you want to take your card? I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm desensitized to things bothering me. Um, I'm a mom. I had my mom astronaut helmet on. <laughs> then you take it out, and guess what? They give her the groceries. She doesn't pay the bill. Guess whose name is on your heavenly debit card? Jesus Christ, who paid the bill in full. When I am sitting in that car, I don't look at Esther and say, well, let me figure out how good you've been. Uh, no, I want my groceries. Here. I am not thinking about whether she's earned this. Now, if she comes out and she spent $500 on, like, licorice and lollipops and, or $500, period, when I didn't let her, I didn't give her permission, then there's going to be some correction. This is how it works in the, in, the, in the heavenly realm. Do you know that I could right now, I thought about doing this, but then it would send you out of service. I could hand my debit card to any of you. I'd probably choose wisely, just kidding. Um, and I would hand it and I'd say, okay, um, DK, I want you to go down to Walmart and I want you to buy me blah, 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 blah. He would come back. It would say, Jenny, not even the right gender. And they would make the transaction. This is how it works. He handed me his authority and said, it's not yours. Just like my credit card, my debit card is in Esther's, but she gets to use it. She could also go in the store and say, I'm super intimidated by all this. Uh, I'm just too little. Um, they're not going to believe me. I mean, look, it says my mom's name. It's not mine. What if they know? That's not my signature. No, she just walks in there like a boss because you know what? I'm her boss. And boss says, use the card. Who are you taking orders from? Spirit of intimidation or God Almighty? Are you using your authority that's already been paid for, the bill's been paid for by Jesus Christ. Okay, seven more points. We'll see you next service. Love you. Okay. No, I have 15 more minutes. I'm using every last second. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Okay. So we can't say we don't have authority anymore. We can say we're not using it, but we can't say we don't have it because Jesus Christ died and rose again. So you have it. And what did he say in Matthew 28, 16? All authority in heaven has been given to me, so I'm giving it to you. Go, therefore. He, he, he did this. He handed us a credit card. He said, it's not yours. Go use it. How do I want, what I want you to buy? I don't want you to buy a bunch of worldly stuff. I don't want you to try to, you know, you know prostitute my name for your gain. Just like I tell Esther, don't be buying a bunch of sugar. We actually need to eat real food. Okay? I don't let her buy what she wants. I actually tell her what I want. And what did Jesus order? Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is really fun to baptize somebody in the Holy Spirit in your car, by the way. It is really fun to baptize somebody in the Holy Spirit in the parking lot of a grocery store. You should try it. It's really fun to baptize your kids in the Holy Spirit. Don't wait for church. Don't wait for the Sunday that we baptize people in the Holy Spirit. You do it. You got your credit card. You do it. Don't be waiting for your pastor. Okay, number two, we don't feel comfortable. And we also have to bring a journal to church, okay? I'm not condemning anybody. There's been a bazillion times I haven't had my journal. That's just the other thing that God said, is he's going to start downloading milk 
And we can't leave to our memory what, um, what is very important that God's depositing. So let's, let's do that. Let's start bringing that. It's going to be amazing what God sifts up on paper. He's, he's into paper right now. I think he's into paper forever, but it's a real thing. Okay, we don't feel comfortable. Okay, if you have my book, Wake Up Dead, you need to go to somewhere around chapter 13. I'm not sure about that. Um, somewhere around there. Talk about the comfort zone. God told me, listen, Jenny, you don't have a comfort zone. Okay? He said, I am the comforter. That's one of my names. But you do have a familiar zone. So when we say, oh, it's not my comfort zone. No, it's not in your familiar zone. You might have never discipled somebody before, so you're not familiar with it. But the comforter says, I am with you even into the end of the age. He promised it. Matthew 28, 20. And lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. And his name is Comforter. So you might just have to remind yourself, okay, I'm walking out of what's familiar, but the Comforter is with me. I'm not doing this by myself. I'm doing this under the anointing of Almighty God. And you got to stand up there proud buying those groceries with your eyeballs going like this. Yeah, you got to stand up there proud. You meet somebody for coffee proud. You pray for them proud. You lead them to Jesus proud. Amen? Okay, number three. It could be, God said, that some of us here have not been baptized in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in this case, it's really tough to do for another person what you don't have, right? I just thought of a really dumb analogy. I guess I have to say it now that I said that. Um, It'd be like trying to nurse a baby, but you don't have any milk. Okay, so if we're going to feed them, okay, let's just not take this analogy too far, okay? I'm realizing I'm on a cliff edge here. Um, But if we're going to feed them, we need to have what's been deposited in us, right? So stand to your feet real quick. Raise your hands. Father, I ask you for every person in this room who has a desire and a hunger to be fully submerged in your spirit, in your spirit, Father. We know this doesn't have to be an emotional experience. We know that this doesn't have to be crazy and people falling down all over the place, although that's super fun when that happens. But God, I just thank you, Lord, that right now for every person that's hungry for your spirit, God, that's hungry for your spirit, Father, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to baptize every person right now. You know their heart. Just turn your heart up to the Father. Just face your heart up to the Father. Just face the Father. Father, I ask you to deposit and pour your spirit out on these people right now. Pour your spirit out, God. Pour your spirit out. Just breathe in. Just breathe in. He's pouring his spirit right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Baptism means full submersion. He's just fully submerging you in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for the boldness. Here comes the boldness. Here comes the boldness. See, the disciples, they couldn't do nothing without the boldness of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this in our own strength. We can't disciple people in our own strength. We cannot bring power to people. We can't break chains off people. We can't do this without the Holy Spirit. So I thank you, Father, that the Holy Spirit is taking over and coming in power In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Awesome. You can have a seat. Okay, number four. This one's not fun to talk about, but we got to. Number four is, it could be that we're not discipling people because we are full of the world. We're full of the world. 
okay? And what that means is we are focused on our life and what we want and what we're building and what we're doing and what I want and my dreams. And so I've not made room. I've not made room. Like here's a baby and it's been abandoned, going back to our analogy. And yet I sold the crib. I've gotten rid of all the sippy cups. I turned my kids' nursery when they grew up. I turned it into an office. And in my head, I don't have room. This baby doesn't fit my life. This disciple doesn't fit my life. My life is full. We're going to have to make room. Amen? I have more stories about that, but I'll just keep going here. Let's look at John 12, 25 before I move on to the next point. John 12, 25. He who loves his life loses it. This isn't just like inspirational Instagram quotes. This is, the, this is the word of God, meaning it's as guaranteed as gravity. You can think that you can jump off a roof and fly, but we can prove that wrong really quick. That is like the word of God. The word of God is the truth. Whether we want it to be the truth or not, this is the truth. So read it with truth in mind. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. And in the Greek text, the first two words translated life are psyche, which is translated soul. He who loves his soul has just feel good about life. If we love it and we're trying to constantly nurse our own feelings and emotions, it says that we're going to lose our emotions. We're going to lose the satisfaction of life. Isn't that interesting? So here's the cool part. You start pouring out your life to somebody else and kind of lose track of all the things that you might want. And I'm not saying you can't build, because God's into building. Okay, he's into building. But when you make room in your life to pour into somebody, it's crazy how satisfying that is. How many of you can say, I've discipled somebody, and that was one of the most fulfilling things, if not the most fulfilling thing, in my life? It is absolutely amazing. I was telling Kaylee yesterday that we were in the car driving. I said, you know, I've been on beaches all over the world. I've been on first-class flights. I've been on, you know, six-star safaris, and they're all a blessing from God. But I remember the moment. I remember it. And it was this conclusion I came to. It wasn't even like a decision. It was just like a, okay, I've experienced shortage, and I've experienced overwhelming blessing, and neither of them did I find extreme happiness. You know when I'm the happiest? It was like when I'm serving people. And I remember just going, well, that settles it. I don't have to seek after this or seek after this. I'm, I'm, I'm happiest serving others. That is satisfying to me. And when you do that, this message doesn't become so challenging. It actually becomes really fulfilling. You and I should be full of the kingdom. If I'm out just to get our bills paid and have a little extra for some pleasures, I'm missing it entirely. This life isn't about what I can get out of it or what you can get out of God or I can get out of God. 
yikes, but what God can get through me to the world. And I want you to take this note down so that they may know him. What are you up to? I want people to know God. That's what I'm up to. Do you know that you can make your life about that? In any endeavor, whatever business God gave you, do you know that that's, it's, like, it's like a business? Ministry business. And it's a little disguise called building a business so that I can step across an invisible barrier and get into your heart and plant the seed of love and connection to God. When we were driving from Corbett out here today, we like to pray for Portland as we go by the, the city. It's so beautiful. And the drawbridge was up. And I haven't seen that in a long time. And I thought, wow, that's got to be prophetic. And then looked it up in the, in the dream and vision book. And it means a disconnection. It means that there's not a connection and relationship. And God was saying, there is a, there, the babies. <laughs> the babies need connected to God. It's like, go, God, bring revival. And he's like, go, Jenny, bring revival. <laughs> right? He's like, I already did it. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, God, help me, help me, help me. Empty my life out, God. Number five, we ourselves have not been discipled. I'm going to go through this one really quick. If we haven't been discipled, you know, we're, we might be thinking, I have no idea how to do this. And maybe you are in here today and you need discipled. I believe that we can disciple and be discipled at the same time. But if you need discipled, then you're going to have to be open. Because we could, on accident, be giving off the energy that we're in charge, we're in control, we're independent, and we become unapproachable. And it's really tough to disciple a know-it-all. A disciple is somebody that actually comes with so much hunger, they end up pulling. I don't pick the people I disciple. They are people who just tuck under and begin to pull from me. Anytime someone's like, Jenny, will you disciple me? And then they want to talk to me for two hours. I'm like, really like you, you're really sweet but they're not, they're not pulling. See, discipleship is you're drawing on someone else. You're drawing the milk from somebody else, not trying to tell them about how miserable you are or how great you are. Am I hurting your feelings? Am I hurting your feelings? If I am, take it up with God. Okay. <laughs> so hunger is the factor to being discipled. Number six, we neglect to see what we have to offer others. We think that our, like, <laughs> my milk is more like diluted water. You know, like, I don't have much to give somebody. And you know what? You are so surrounded by your giftings that you don't even know their gifts. You actually don't even know that other people don't have it. I'm going to tell you the story. Barnabas, he is an understated apostle for sure, right? We don't talk about Barn Barnabas a lot, but his name translates son of encouragement, I went to an adult Bible class when I was in California this week, and he talked about Barnabas, and it was just really inspiring. And Barnabas, who we just don't talk a lot about, right, doesn't get a lot of credit, but you know what? When Saul became Paul, right, Saul's killing Christians. Like, his mission is, if you're a Christian, you're dead. God hit him, blinded him. He wakes up, comes to his senses, and now he's like, passionate about Christ, but you know what? He didn't go out as an apostle right away. He actually got tucked away for years and years and years and years before he actually went out and was an apostle. But when God sent him out, like, okay, it's time for you, he approached the apostles, Peter, all those guys, and they went, 
I mean, think about his reputation. You wouldn't be like, hey, come on. I turn your back. You know, like, what's going to happen here? <laughs> you got you to remember these are real people. Right? And he has a real reputation. And they all rejected him. But guess who bridged the gap? The son of encouragement. Barnabas said, guys, here, let me help. Let me help. And he pulled Paul in and connected him in trust to the other apostles. Paul, who wrote at least a third of the New Testament, imagine if we didn't have Barnabas and Paul would have been rejected totally out of the group. Have you ever been rejected out of a group? Pretty tough recovery. But Barnabas bridged the gap and brought him into the group. And then, yeah, Barnabas, good job. And all, and he had the gift of encouragement. And those of you that have a gift of encouragement, I know Coach Bams, you have that. Are you using it? Are you using it to bridge the Pauls of the world or the no-names of the world into the body of Christ? And you might think encouragement is so fluffy. It's so Pinterest. It's so, eh. No, it's so God. It's so God. The other thing that Barnabas did that was really cool, so Paul and Barnabas ended up going out with John Mark, and they're going out to preach the gospel. Paul and Barnabas, right? Barnabas was like the guy, right? And John Mark turned and went back. He said, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm out, I'm going back. And Barnabas, son of encouragement, do you think he's just going to go, bye? No, he went, Paul, we got to go, like, let's go get him. And Paul's like, no. <laughs> so they have this little whatever, well, whatever you want to call it, like altercation, not terrible, but they just decided, okay, we got to go our separate ways because Barnabas, Barnabas had to go back and get John Mark. So he went back, he left Paul, went back and got John Mark. So now he's just being an encourager again, went back and got John Mark. They meet up with Peter and they carry on the gospel, Peter, John Mark, and Barnabas. And Peter, you know, Peter, he ain't got no time to write nothing down. He's not writing anything down in the Bible. Guess who wrote Peter? John Mark. John Mark wrote Peter. First Peter, second Peter. Because Peter's just blasting away, blasting away, blasting away. And John Mark's like, well, maybe I have a, maybe I do have a job here. I mean, I was going to ditch this whole thing, but I got to write this stuff down. He starts writing, starts writing, starts translating, translating, translating. And that is why we have first Peter and second Peter because of John Mark. Or is it because of John Mark? It probably might be because of Barnabas, right? You're, you're making history with your giftings. Okay. I'm going to sp- skip number seven. I know that's mean. Well, let me just say it. I won't, I won't preach it. We think we need to have it all together before we disciple somebody. One comment on this. When I say Thomas, what do you think? Yeah, poor guy. Listen, that guy's never going to let this down. He had some flaws, right? Doubting Thomas. But in this class we went to in Orange County, there, this, this doctor that was speaking, he's an apolog- apologetics guy, he said he's been to churches that Thomas started. He started hundreds of churches. And he's been to churches that say, oh, yeah, Thomas started this church. What? That's like 2,000 years later saying, yeah, Ben Rose? Yeah, he started this church. And the collective 2,000, you guys, the church never died. Good job, Thomas, right? How are we going to give this guy a new reputation? It's pretty locked in. 
But we think that God can't use us in our handicap, right? Okay, number eight. This is the spicy one. This is for the women. We think we cannot disciple someone because I am a woman. I want you to really think about that. Women, have you stepped even a millimeter back from taking somebody and leading them? I'm a woman. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I have an edge. You don't need an edge. You just need to love Jesus. And there are women in the Bible that did incredible feats of discipleship. Mary Magdalene, remember she was there when Jesus' tomb was empty. She's the first one to see it empty. We just read about that a little bit ago. She went on to preach all through Italy. Some call her the Apostles of Apostles. I know that makes some of you mad. It's okay. You needed a little jolt. It's fine. She was amazing. Now, she had influence. How do we know that she had influence? She approached Emperor Tiberius. And here's the story, okay? Is this fact? I'm not going to call it a fact. I'm going to call it a probability. This is the story that she approached Emperor Tiberius with an egg. As an illustration, she was preaching the gospel to the emperor. How do you get in front of the emperor? You got to have some influence. You can't just like walk in, you know? No, she had influence. Like, oh, you got it. Like this girl, oh, I know this girl. I'll open a door for you. Open it. She's in front of the emperor. And she has an egg as an illustration. She's talking about the resurrection of Jesus to the emperor. And she's using the egg as an illustration of resurrection. Like you got to be born again. And the emperor says to her, a man cannot be raised from the dead no more than that egg can turn red. And they look down and it's red. And there's pictures and different things that people use and different stained glass windows and all this. There's, a, there's Mary holding a red egg. And that explains why we're coloring Easter eggs. By the way, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Had that question for a while. There you go. If you are using your gender as an excuse to not take the bull by the horns, then I am imploring you today, women, God has gifted you. He needs you. You make an incredible mother to people who need a leader. Who need a leader. Look at Jesus' mom, Mary. I love this. She was the one that discipled him, activated him into his public ministry. How do we know this? He was just at a wedding. He was just like, I'm just here. I'm at a wedding. I'm not going to be doing anything awesome, okay? Nobody knows I'm, I'm God in the flesh. Let's just keep that on the DL. And Mary says, son, they're out of wine. And he goes, what does it have to do with me? Oh. My mentor, my mom is activating me into ministry. And so he goes and he turns all that water into the best wine. And it was his first public miracle. And he knew that if he did a public miracle, they would send him into his ministry, which was to go to the cross. He knew that he said, the second people know about this, the second I do this, it's going to take me straight to the cross to be crucified. And this is, this is a tough go. But he did it. And I think, you used a woman to activate you, God? 
Like, okay. So whether male or female, young or old, white, black, Asian, it, it, listen, go therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, let's say it together, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that you've given us the Great Commission. Not the great suggestion, the great position, the great idea. It's not the great career. It's just the Great Commission, and it's a heart posture. John 14, 21 says, our love is demonstrated by obedience. If it would only just be demonstrated by like Christian t-shirts and, you know, just going to church. Like I had to get up this morning earlier than I wanted to. Doesn't that show I love you, God? Well, the Bible says it's by obedience. And yes, going to church is obedience, but I'm talking about the great commission. And so I'm asking God today, I'm asking him to make space inside of me because Jenny can get pretty full. I can get pretty full of what I'm doing. I can get pretty full of the mission, the God things, right? In my dream, I was doing the God thing and the baby was starving. And you know what I thought in my dream? I know how to preach and nurse at the same time. How do I know that? Because I've done it multiple times at drenches. I would just tell everybody, you should be thankful I'm covered up. I'm from Portland. You never know what'll happen here. And it kind of got everybody, okay, we're loosened up here because the woman's preaching and nursing and I'm watching. But you know what God told me? He said, it's not either or. It's not Jenny's life or my, it is all. We're doing it together. We're doing it together. We're building businesses and we're building people. We're building families and we're building people. We're building ministries and we're building people. And it's all hands on deck. Your hands on deck. Say, my hands on deck. My hands on deck. And if you were the only person in this room that lifted your hands and said, my hands on deck, Jesus would go, you. Thank you. He wouldn't go, only one? Gee whiz. He would say, thank you. You read about Jesus' life? He picked out the people raising their hands. Hands on deck, hands on deck. He didn't, he didn't look for the people who weren't. He looked for the people who were. I want to be Peter on the water, even found floundering in my faith to be rescued by God, to be rebuked. I'm thinking, rebuke the guys in the boat. They didn't even get out. No, 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 that's not how it works. God interacts. He interacts with the people who are in obedience. He interacts with the people that are foolishly courageous. He interacts with that. Can we be that type of church? Can we be that type of family? Or do we just want to be bored for the rest of our life, just building our own empires? Ah, no. Even saying that just makes me just want to punch myself. Seriously. Come on, let's be about the Father's business. Let's be about our Father's business. God, you're going to have to help us. You know Jenny, she likes to hole up, hide out, and make it all about me. But Father, my spirit is yearning to feed your sheep. Just one. That's what he says, just one. Go ahead and lift your hands as a sign of surrender. Father, I thank you, God, that today you are giving us courage from high. The courage that comes from him. Just go ahead and draw on his courage. Pull on him. Pull on his courage. Thank you, God. It's not our flesh. It is by the Spirit of God. Send us by your Spirit, Father. And for anybody today that needs discipled, they really, truly need somebody to come alongside them, I ask you, Father, the hunger 
would be like a light bulb going off and somebody else would be assigned to them and they would see them. Father, open our eyes to the ones that we need to disciple and Father, let our, um, let our hunger become a light for other people to see. We thank you for organizing and appointing us to the people who are assigned to us in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To find out more, visit thecollectivechurch.com.